No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where the Lord gives Ezekiel the measurements of the properties around the future temple for the priests, city, and prince. He also gives laws to govern the prince who is to come. Who is he? We hope you join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Ezekiel chapter 45 on Simply the Bible. The Lord showed Ezekiel the future temple that will exist during the millennial reign of Christ. Along with the sanctuary, God designates holy districts stretching from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River. These will be for the priests, Levites, the city of Jerusalem, and the prince who is to come. We continue in Ezekiel chapter 45. Moreover, when you divide the land by lot into inheritance, you shall set apart a district for the Lord, a holy section of the land. Its length shall be 25,000 cubits and the width 10,000. It shall be holy throughout its territory all around. Of this, there shall be a square plot for the sanctuary, 500 by 500, with 50 cubits around it for an open space. So this is the district you shall measure 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide. In it shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be a holy section of the land belonging to the priests, the ministers of the sanctuary, who come near to minister to the Lord. It shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. The entire district set apart for the temple, the priests, the Levites, and Jerusalem would form a square 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits, or 8.3 miles square, for a total of about 69 square miles. The central band stretching from west to east would be 3.3 miles by 8.3 miles. Now this would include the temple area, which is 875 feet square, and the land, for the priests' homes who will minister to the Lord at the sanctuary. An area 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide shall belong to the Levites, the ministers of the temple. They shall have 20 chambers as a possession. So to the north of this central section is another district 3.3 miles by 8.3 miles. This would belong to the Levites who minister at the temple. When the promised land was first divided by Joshua, the priests and Levites were scattered throughout Israel. But in the kingdom age, they will live together next to the temple in Jerusalem. Those who minister to the Lord ought to dwell near to him. You shall appoint as the property of the city an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 long adjacent to the district of the holy section. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. The section for the city of Jerusalem would be south of the sanctuary, and it would be 1.7 miles by 8.3 miles. Sort of like Washington, D.C., this district would belong to all the people of Israel. The prince shall have a section on one side and the other of the holy district and the city's property and bordering on the holy district and the city's property, extending westward on the west side and eastward on the east side. The length shall be side by side with one of the tribal portions from the west border to the east border. The land shall be his possession in Israel 
and my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. So on either side of the square district mentioned, stretching westward to the Mediterranean Sea and eastward to the Jordan River, would be two sections that will belong to the prince. Now this begs the question, who is this prince? Commentators are divided. Some think it is a descendant of David. Some think it is another civil ruler. A few think it is Jesus, although this seems unlikely for a couple of reasons that I will point out a little later. Probably the majority think it is David. There seems to be strong scriptural support for this. Ezekiel 34:23 said, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then in Ezekiel 37, 25, we read, Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. They, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. And then in Hosea 3, 4, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. So, you know, we're speaking of David being a prince. It's very possible that this is David. And where it is speaking of the son of David reigning on the throne of David forever, I believe that is speaking of Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus Christ will be in the temple itself as the Lord. So anyway, it does sort of remain a mystery, but that seems to be the best way to interpret it that I can find. Finally, we are told in Revelation 5 that those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ will be made kings and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so if that is true of every believer, then how much more would it be true of David, the man after God's own heart, whose name appears in Scripture more than any other? Yes, the prince here does sort of remain a mystery, but I do believe it is most likely to be David. The former kings of Israel had oppressed people because of greed, but this will never happen again in the millennial kingdom. The rest of the land to the north and south of this holy district will be allotted to the 12 tribes of Israel. And at last, the descendants of Abraham will inherit all the land that God had promised to them. Thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel, remove violence and plundering, execute justice and righteousness, and stop dispossessing my people, says the Lord God. So the Lord rebukes the princes of Israel who oppressed and plundered his people, This would serve as a warning to Israel's rulers from the time of Ezekiel until Christ returns. They would also be exhorted to execute justice and righteousness. You shall have honest scales, an honest ephah, and an honest bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure so that the bath contains one-tenth of a homer and the ephah one-tenth of a homer their measure shall be according to the homer. The shekel shall be 20 giras, 20 shekels, 25 shekels, and 15 shekels shall be your mina. 
Now, God wanted them to be honest in their business dealings and not use differing weights and measures. An ephah was a measure of dry capacity and a bath was a measure of liquid capacity. Each were equivalent to about five gallons. Each of these was a tenth of a homer. A homer was about 50 gallons of liquid or six bushels dry. The gira was the smallest unit of weight in Israel. It took 20 giras to make one shekel. So Ezekiel said that 60 shekels would equal one mina, and that would make the mina about one and a half pounds. You must give this tax to the prince, one bushel of wheat or barley for every 60 you harvest, 1% of your olive oil, and one sheep or goat for every 200 in your flocks in Israel. These will be the grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings that will make atonement for the people who bring them, says the Sovereign Lord. The Hebrew word here for atonement means to cover. These offerings would have no efficacy in themselves to put away sins, but they would be commemorative of Christ's atonement on the cross. All the people of the land shall give this offering for the prince in Israel. Everyone will be required to participate in worship. Even though Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron, sins will still be committed during the millennial kingdom. Then it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feasts, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and at all the appointed seasons of the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. So after receiving offerings from the people, it will be the prince's responsibility to present these to the priests for the various offerings. Thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the temple on the four corners of the ledge of the altar and on the gateposts of the gate of the inner court. And so you shall do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who has sinned unintentionally or in ignorance. Thus you shall make atonement for the temple. God gives instructions here for celebrating feasts during the kingdom age. The prince will be responsible for these as well as the other offerings mentioned. Twice a year, in the first and seventh months, they will present a bull for a sin offering to make atonement for the temple and for those who have sinned unintentionally. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall observe the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. And on that day, the prince shall prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. On the seven days of the feast, he shall prepare a burnt offering to the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams without blemish daily for seven days, and a kid of the goats daily for his sin offering. And he shall prepare a grain offering of one ephah for each bull and one ephah for each ram together with a hin of oil for each ephah. So here the Passover and unleavened bread feasts are combined into one, and the prince prepares a bull for a sin offering The fact that he prepares this for himself is perhaps the strongest evidence that he is not Jesus Christ. The other evidence is found in Ezekiel 46, 16, where we are told that the prince has sons. So the prince prepares burnt offerings of bulls and rams for the seven days of the feast. 
He prepares seven goats for sin offerings. And then he prepares grain offerings for seven days, consisting of a basket of flour as a grain offering and a gallon of olive oil with each young bull and ram. In the seventh month, on the 15th day of the month at the feast, he shall do likewise for seven days, according to the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. This would be the Feast of Tabernacles, and so he'll prepare the offerings for that as well. Now, we see there is no mention of the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, or the Day of Atonement. This seems to speak of the fact that Israel will be under the New Covenant, and therefore some of the old feasts will be obsolete. There will be no need for the Day of Atonement, for according to Hebrews 10.14, through the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The offerings for atonement in the first and seven months will be a memorial of Christ's sacrifice that forever puts away sins. The kingdom age will be a marvelous time where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I fully expect to reign with Christ along with every other believer whom he has redeemed by his blood. How he works that all out, I have no idea, but I am sure that the best this world now has to offer doesn't even begin to compare to what God has in store for those who love him. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. That's calvarytv.org. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. To listen to previous episodes, check out our Simply the Bible podcast and please leave us a review. It helps a lot. Tomorrow we will return to the book of Job and see where the Lord confronts Job for correcting, rebuking, and condemning him. How does Job respond? We hope you'll join us as we continue teaching through God's Word on Simply the Bible. Simply the Bible.